Hello, my friends. Eric Feltis here, life coach, speaker, actor, and host of The Great Unbecoming. This is a show about stories of unlearning. What did you let go of in order to become the person you are today? And what did you gain and learn as well? This is a show about letting go of stories that no longer serve us and stepping into our own authenticity. It's about unbecoming what society says you should be and remembering who you are and who you are meant to be. So sit back, relax, and welcome to The Great Unbecoming. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of The Great Unbecoming, and happy pride. Oh my gosh, y'all, confession. The only reason I started a podcast was so that I would have an excuse to bring this wonderful man on to talk to me. Wait till you hear Brandon Robertson's bio, y'all. Um... Reverend Brandon Robertson is a noted author, activist, and public theologian working at the intersections of spirituality, sexuality, and social renewal. Robertson is most known for his work as the TikTok pastor. That's where I found him on TikTok, creating thousands of TikTok videos on inclusive theology, which have garnered over 215,000 followers and 5 million views. A prolific writer, he is the author of nine books on spirituality, justice, and theology, including the Indies Book of the Year Award finalist, True Inclusion, Creating Communities of Radical Embrace. Robertson has bylines and publications such as Time Magazine, San Diego Union Tribe, The Huffington Post, NBC, and The Washington Post, and is a regular columnist for Bishop John Shelby's Shelby Spong's progressing spirit newsletter as well as baptist news global as a trusted voice on progressive faith in politics robertson is regularly interviewed in national and global media outlets including cnn national public radio msnbc hot press ireland the independent uk and the new york times in 2021 rolling stone magazine included robertson in its annual hot list of top artists creatives and influencers who are quote unquote giving us reason to be excited about the future i love that each year robertson speaks on a variety of topics across the globe and has been an honored speaker at renowned institutions such as the white house oxford university the parliament of world religions and the parliament of world religions in 2023 robertson was chosen to be a speaker at tedx lake superior state university He's taught seminars for San Francisco the- Theological Seminary and Disciples Seminary Foundation and currently serves on the faculty of the Lakelands Institute. He has served on advisory committees and working groups for the Democratic National Convention, the U.S. Department of State, the Department of Health and Human Services, the Humane Society, and in 2020 was named a fellow of the prestigious Salzburg Global Seminar. Named by the Human Rights Campaign as one of the top faith leaders leading the fight for LGBTQ plus equality, Robertson has has worked with political leaders and activists around the world to end conversion therapy and promote the human rights of sexual and gender minorities. He works as a national organizer of people of faith on a wide array of social and political issues and is a founding member of the Union of Affirming Christians, the Global Interfaith Commission on LGBTQ plus lives. The Ozan, oh my gosh, y'all, I gotta like take a break. The Ozan Foundation US and serves as a patron of One Body, One Faith UK. But wait, there's more. Robertson received his Bachelor of Arts in Pastoral Ministry and Theology from Moody Bible Institute, his Master of Theological Studies, 
from ILIF School of Theology and his Master of Arts in Political Science and Public Administration from Eastern Illinois University. He's currently pursuing his PhD in religion and religion from Drew University. He currently resides in New York City. So my my first question, and this is a serious one, is when are you going to get off your ass and do something with your life? First of all, so sorry for making you read all of that. So ridiculous. <laughs> you didn't make me do so anything. Ridiculous. Pause real quick. At first, I was like, I need to cut some of this. But then I, re I always read them out loud once, even though I still stumble over words. And I was like, I don't want to cut any of this. Like, it's I'm just so honored to be talking to you. And it's not fluff. Like, it's all important stuff. And to be recognized by, by such massive institutions uh, but for doing such amazing work, especially to, to, to bring to, to raise you up in this way on Pride Month is significant. So, um, but seriously, stop being lazy. <laughs> well, likewise, likewise, I've been following your work for at least the past two years that I've been active on TikTok and been really impressed. I've watched uh, so many of your sermons uh, when you're speaking, I think, at the community you're a part of or yeah. around the Los Angeles area. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's really exciting to get connected to you in this way. I'm so happy that you're here. And thank you for that. Um, so where do I even start? I Obviously, you've done so much, but I want to go in reverse. I want to start back at the beginning. And y'all, so I, I met Brandon, this is not the beginning, but I met him quote unquote, met him through TikTok and then Instagram. We've talked a few times in the DMs. And then we realized that we had a mutual friend uh, who goes to my church. Uh, so then we got to talk about that. He agreed to be on the podcast. But I am so, uh, I'm just so moved by the way you handle uh, such fear-filled commentators, um, oftentimes with just just true genius theological backing. Um, it, it's one of those things I tell my clients this a lot. You know, if I say being gay is wrong or you're going to hell or just something absurd and you, and it makes you do this, if you're watching on YouTube, you see what I'm doing, but if it makes you kind of contrast and go inward, that's where you're at. That's okay. But it, it seems to me at this point, Brandon, when someone says something like that to you, it's no different than someone saying, oh, that's a red shirt that you have on. And you go, well, actually, it's not. Maybe get your eyes checked, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't affect you. And I'm, I'm assuming it hasn't always felt that way. I'm assuming you haven't been this confident in, in who you are. Or am I wrong? Yeah, I th no, you're absolutely right. And part of it, I mean, part of it is an act. Uh, there are, as of late, I will say, um, the level of vitriol and the kind of attacks that I'm experiencing and that so many of us are experiencing um, are at a level that I didn't expect uh, just recently, earlier this month or last month. Uh, there were TikTok accounts, whole accounts uh, formed just focused on me with some dude in a mask saying that he was going to expose me and people trying to dox me. And like just these level of threats um, have been a lot. And mm. I think that speaks to uh, the moment that we're in, that a lot of people are afraid that progressives are winning, that uh, LGBT inclusive Christians are winning. But to your point, I mean, part of the reason I've done the education that I've done, part of the reason I'm getting this PhD is not because I'm particularly a good student or because I want to be in academia, uh, but because over the years, I got really tired of evangelicals, overeducated evangelical pastors with kind of bogus master's degrees, to be honest, uh, telling me that they knew the Bible better than I did and they had credentials better than other queer people. 
And I was like, well, fine, I'll do the work. I'll get to the level so that I can <laughs> then, yeah, stand and say, this is, this is the truth. Um, and so it's taken a long time. I put a lot of work into it, but um, yeah. it still gets me sometimes. Of course, you're human. And I think it's important for people to hear that. I always remind people that, you know, the, myself and guests I bring on, we might be experts to some degree in the, in the fields in which we are in. However, we haven't always felt this way. So that being said, to humanize you a little bit for these people, because I don't want people to hear your story and be like, oh, I'll never have a PhD. I'll never be in Time Magazine. I'll never be at the White House. Therefore, I can't A, fight back on social injustice, or B, love myself as I am. That's just not true. So can you go back and you tell us, like, start near the beginning of your life of, like, you know, that intersectionality of when you realized you weren't straight um, and how that conflicted with your upbringing and your faith? Yeah, I mean... My story is the story of so many people. And I know you get this as you sit and talk to people. Um, I grew up in a non-religious family in a lower class um, trailer park in Maryland. And I had an abusive alcoholic father and uh, just a very unstable home environment. And that's what initially led me to start going to church with my neighbors at the age of 12. Um, Mm. One, I just wanted to kind of escape my home and escape the community I was a part of. Um, And so I would go to church with them. It turns out they went to a fundamentalist Baptist church, which uh, is not where I would suggest most people go. Uh, But I started attending. And within a few months, I had a conversion experience that changed my life. Looking back now with the language uh, that I have now, I would say... Part of that was truly, I think, a divine experience with a God of love. But part of it was just being a part of a community who saw me as Mm. the shy, awkward, abused young boy with anxiety and panic attacks and was glad that I was there and said, you can be a part of our community. And then getting to witness the pastor stand up every week and in his loud, booming voice, despite most of the theology I'd probably disagree with today, the message still came through that there was a God who loved me and had a plan for my life. And probably about six to eight months after starting to attend church, I felt a distinct sense of calling to be a pastor. Um, And so really from 12 years old to now I'm 31, I've been pursuing this path. But um, it was also at that same period of time, I was just hitting puberty. And I started having questions about my sexuality. And I have this one visceral memory, and it's so weird how these memories are the ones that get lodged within us. But I used to sneak into the sanctuary. It was a Baptist mega church. And so I would sneak in during the day, this massive sanctuary by myself, and I would preach to nobody. <laughs> and I remember one, one day I was there, I opened up the preacher's Bible and I looked down and I believe it was 1 Corinthians 6, 9, which in the translation we had, it says, no homosexual offender will enter the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. And at that time, I had not even thought that I was gay yet. But I remember seeing that verse and thinking, oh, this is about me. This mm. is this is something about me. Um, and that launched me into a number of years of then hearing very publicly in the pulpit anti-LGBT sermons and knowing that that was part of my reality. And so I repressed and suppressed like so many people do. Um, I just submitted to what my preacher said was true about the Bible, uh, mm. that it condemned homosexuality and that anybody who did that couldn't be a Christian. And for me, it was never really an option. I didn't really entertain it until I got to college and I started asking some bigger questions, but I'll pause there. 
Yeah, pause. I have so many things to say. Thing number one, I think what you said is yeah. true by going to a fundamentalist Baptist church. You said something to the effect of it's not something you would recommend. I think it's also important and valid to recognize that beauty still came from that place for you, right? Like that's mm -hmm. your story. I grew up Catholic, yeah. followed by evangelical. People would ask me, you voluntarily went to an evangelical church? for why, right? And community was a big part of it. I wanted to belong. I do feel like at that age, I got fitting in versus belonging confused. Mm -hmm. I think I tried to contort to what that church thought I should be, um, at, at, you know, in, in their own way. I think even though they probably meant well. Um, so it's, 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 it's good to let people know it's, you know, it's not a dead end, right? Like, and I think that yeah. also shows like the vastness of, you know, this, you know, this idea of an unconditionally, infinitely loving God, human beings cannot comprehend what infinity feels like. But to be able to extract the miracle from that mm -hmm. exclusive experience, and know that that's sort of the foundation for, for who you are today, I think it, it, it's noteworthy. Um, totally. So beautiful, and inspiring. So that's all to say, listeners, whatever your history is, we can use it. Yeah. <laughs> we can use it. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to say, I, I agree with that so much. I think please. part of the thing I say to people that I counsel uh, in the deconstruction process is it, while there is legitimate reason to look down on some of the past religious experiences many of us have had, while there is good reason to critique some of the traditions we've come from, just as you said, um, one of my mentors, Ken Wilbur, coined this phrase, transcend and include. And that has helped guide me in my own spiritual healing of the fundamentalist church taught me a lot of actually great things. And the evangelical megachurch that I went to after that taught me a lot of really great things that were foundational to my development as a person and to my spiritual yeah. formation. And yes, there is so much toxic theology and structures uh, in those systems that we would not want to endorse. But I think far too often we feel like we need to demonize and throw the baby out with the bathwater mm. instead of realizing that, especially as we're trying to relate to people that might not be queer, that are still in those environments and love those environments, that there are some legitimately good things that are taking place there. Um, and it doesn't help to just write it off as completely unhelpful and wrong because that's, first of all, just not an authentic retelling of our own past, right? When mm. we were there, we didn't find it to be completely demonizable. Uh, but also, um, we miss out on the gifts that we learned along the way and in those points of our life where we were at places where we might not want to be now, but were good for us in that moment. So beautifully said. And also, listeners, if you're hearing those words and you think, F that, I don't even want to think about the church I went to, we both say that's okay too. <laughs> Everyone has their own totally. journey. It's where you're at. I think it's more important to honor where you're at and maybe ask curious questions like, I'm curious to know why I feel this way um, versus, no, I'll never do that. Allow yourself to feel uncomfortable. Set the boundaries that you need to set and that's okay. Um, it's, it's so interesting that from the age of 12, you knew you wanted to be a pastor. I, I think that I would have wanted to too, but I think I always knew I had quote unquote homosexual tendencies, which is what yeah. we said back then. So I think I just never thought that I could. So when you were wrestling with this, what was that like for you? Like, did you, did you think like, oh, I'll never be able to, you know, have those needs met. I'll just shove it away in a closet so I can be a pastor. Like, what was that like, that friction before you came out like? Yeah, I mean... 
So on one hand, I'll say I think my sexuality has been a little bit fluid uh, in the sense that I'm probably two degrees bisexual. And so uh, in high school, I dated a girl from our church and we had a great relationship and I was attracted to her and I felt like, oh, this could be where I end up. This is the path I'm on. Um, And so that helped a little bit. But honestly, there was this myth that I believed, uh, which was that if I could get to college, if I could just get to the place where I officially went off and started studying to be a pastor and began the journey to become a pastor, that naturally any homosexual desires, quote unquote, that I had would go away because I was devoting myself to serve God. And the school I went to and many schools like it, Moody Bible Institute, uh, had this unofficial motto, ring by spring. It was this promise that if you go in studying to be a pastor, you're going to get a wife and you're going to get a degree and then you're going to get a church and you'll be happy, happily ever after. And so I really believed when I went off to Chicago for college that my sexuality wasn't going to be an issue. I was going to get married to a woman and God was going to honor me because I devoted from 12 to 18 at that point to uh, serving God. Obviously that didn't happen. Um, the school I, I want to pause you, if I may. I want to pause both, you. Yeah. Because I think this is so good. And I think what you're showing us is another example of that belief that love is conditional. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, mm-hmm. I did all of these good things. So therefore, I will, re- yeah. will receive this good life, right? And I'm smiling yeah. because like, I hear this story all the time. And then people go on to be a pastor. And it's like the school of deconstruction. If I, if I understand what that process is like, you're, you're in it. And you are forced to question everything. <laughs> And yeah. so, so yeah, I, I interrupted you, but I do want to hear then like what that schooling was like for you. No, totally. I think you're exactly right. And it's, uh, I think most Christians, most LGBT Christians are conditioned somewhere along the journey to believe that God can take away your sexuality if you do what's right. Even if that's never explicitly taught, like I didn't hear those words in a pulpit somewhere, but that is the implicit message that yeah. obeying God results in God blessing you. Um mm-hmm. So the school I went to was both the best and the worst thing to ever happen to me. Mm. Uh, Moody is in the heart of downtown Chicago. There are very few conservative Bible colleges in the center of a major city. Um, Mm. And so I think that saved my life. It saved my faith because what started happening was I was in the four walls of the campus and I would hear conservative Christian theology, anti-LGBT theology. But then for the first time in my life, I was free to go out and explore a city on my own. So scary. And the way I put it, it was scary. I did. I mean, honestly, I spent the first year having panic attacks, hiding in a prayer closet uh, because Chicago was just so overwhelming. But when I started going out into the city, I was finding God in all the places that my theology said God could not be. Um, at first, that was places like the Roman Catholic Church down the street from Moody. We would just sit in uh, because that's what we did for fun in college. Uh, and instead of seeing this demonic worship service, which is what Moody would have said about the Roman Catholic Church, right. I experienced beauty. Uh, and then, as it turns out, uh, me and my friends used to go to a frozen yogurt place that was in Boys Town, uh, divinely placed in Boy- Boys Town. Uh, and so we were all of a sudden around queer people all the time. And I met queer people who were queer Christians. I met queer people that had been married for 30 years that defeated all the stereotypes of what my evangelical world said a queer person was. 
And I felt the presence of God there. And that mm. led me on the journey, both with my sexuality, but on my faith in general of saying, I've kind of been lied to because God doesn't reside in the four walls of evangelicalism. God is out here in the world. God is Say that again. in different places. And yeah, God is out in the world and my theology can't handle it. So my theology mm. must be wrong. Mm. And thus began the journey. Oh God, it's so good. It's so good. Um, God has such a funny sense of humor. Um, yeah. And I bet that just pissed so many people off when he started to question. Uh, so, so then, so we went to the college and then when did you start more so coming to terms with your sexuality from that point? So it was really my, I mean, there's a whole nother subplot to the college story that the first day of school and college, uh, a guy knocked on my door. Uh, he lived two dorms down um, and that person became my best friend, but he also became my first gay lover, so to speak. Um, and so me and him just became good friends throughout our Bible college experience, along with a couple other people. And we all turned out to be gay in the end. Uh, and isn't that amazing? You all like subconsciously community. like clinged together. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is. I mean, I had a, I just some friends in a picture a couple of no, you I ahead. think there's I think there's some like I don't know if it's my computer or your computer. We'll see how the sound sounds, but I there might be some some delay here. But no, I'm excited because I I went to like a couple of my best friends growing up were both gay as well and it's like it's just so funny how like subconsciously we just know without knowing, yeah. you know? Yeah. And what I've learned is that like some really large percentage, maybe a fourth of the people I went to school with at Moody Bible Institute are now queer in some way. Like it's I think in particular pastoral ministry draws queer people. We can talk about that later, but uh, yeah. anyways, I, this, me and this guy towards junior year started asking questions about faith together. We started asking questions about sexuality together. Um, and we ended up, there was an ex gay professor on campus who's now quite prominent in the ex gay world named Christopher Yuan. And we went to him to start talking about our struggles with sexuality. And he of course told us, it was a sin and here are things you can do to help overcome the sin. The long story short though, was my school saw that I was getting more progressive. Um, I blogged and I had a podcast at the time. And so I kept getting called to the Dean's office and being warned that if I continued to play around with heresy, so to speak, that I was going to yeah. get expelled. And by my senior year, um, they knew that, I struggled with my sexuality because this professor had told other professors that I was struggling with my sexuality. Mm. And I got called into the Dean's office first day of senior year. And they said, if you're going to graduate, we need you to prove that you align with us. And so we're going to ask you to do a version of conversion therapy for the rest of this year. And if you do that, you'll graduate. If not, then you probably won't. And so my senior year, I started meeting, um, with an ex-lesbian professor and we would meet once or twice a week. I would confess my sin, lustful thoughts towards the same gender to her. And then in this strange ritual, uh, she used holy water and crucifixes. And we would do this kind of pseudo psychological prayer that was meant to heal my inner wounding and thus heal my sexuality. I did that for a year, nothing changed. And by the grace of God, I will say my version of conversion therapy was so much lighter than what a lot of people who went through it go through. Mm. Um, but 
but I knew that by the end of my senior year, after doing that for a year in earnest, nothing had changed. And in fact, I did experience some healing because we were doing semi-psychological practices. Uh, and so like I was feeling more confident as a person. And I remember looking at my professor and saying, I don't know what to do because I do feel like I'm becoming more whole and healthy and stable and my sexuality hasn't changed at all. And so it was really when I left Moody, I graduated by the grace of God, moved back to Washington, D.C., that I slowly began to play around with the idea of what it would look like for me to be a gay Christian. And to zoom to the coming out point, I what ended up happening was I got outed in Time Magazine uh, in 2015 um, because I had a book deal, my first book deal during college, writing about kind of deconstruction with a conservative publisher. They found out that I supported gay marriage and said that we're dropping your book deal for that. Time reached out, said we wanted to do a story on this. And the uh, reporter said, I've talked to people in your life and know that you're not straight. So we're going to tell that story, um, but we want to make sure we give you time to do what you need to do. It was the next day after my interview, uh, the Time Magazine story went live without me knowing. And that headline read, Young Evangelical Leader Loses Book Deal After Coming Out. And that's literally how my family found out. That's literally how everyone found out. Uh, and I was out. So, <laughs> Oh, my God. How did I not know any of that? Oh, it gosh. was so long ago now. Oh, but it's not. I don't know if anyone saw me online. I don't know why I just grabbed my chest a minute ago. Like, I'm like shocked. That's, I'm like, as an actor and producer, I'm like putting this story together. Like, who do you want to, who, who should play you? Like what young Troy hot Simone. actors? <laughs> yes. You want it to be a musical? <laughs> yes. Oh. oh my gosh. I don't even like, where do I even go from that? Like that is a lifetime movie in and of itself. How in all of this, I don't know even where, like how, how did you not lose your, your faith in the people that, that, that first introduced you to God are now the ones completely betraying you. And I, I mean, I firmly believe that those who crucified Jesus 2000 years ago are the same people that use Jesus as a weapon today. Hmm. How did you lean into love and not fear? Yeah. I mean, we can make it sound like I was a saint through all of this, but I don't think that's the case. There was obviously that's a lot boring. Of, yeah. There was a lot of grappling uh, that I had to do. I will say, not to take us all the way back to the beginning, but from the very start of my faith journey at 12, I ended up getting kicked out of that Baptist church uh, after a couple of years because I had theology that they said was uh, heretical. Um, and so I say that all to say my entire journey in Christianity since I was a teenager was one of exploration leading to condemnation and needing to find a new path forward. So by the time this is happening when I'm 20, I've been rejected probably six times uh, in a major way by Christians. And for most of that time, I still had this sense of robust connection to God. And you brought up that verse, uh, which is my favorite verse, which is uh, God is love and perfect love casts out all fear. Hmm. There is another visceral moment um, where when I stepped out of the dean's office my senior year, I was totally broken, like on the verge of a panic attack, being like, I've done all this work. 
I've been honest and they're saying they're going to kick me out and end this journey of getting a college degree and being a part of this community simply because I'm asking questions about faith. And I turned, opened my Bible, which is what you do as a young evangelical. And I came to that verse and it changed my theology in that moment that if God is truly love and love casts out fear, whenever fear is present, God is not. So any theology that is leading to fear is not a theology rooted in the truth of God. And that has been my mantra and even now remains my mantra, even though I identify as a Christian agnostic and my faith is very amorphous right now, Mm. I still am grounded in God is love and love casts out fear. So if you're trying to make me afraid because of what I believe or who I am, you're not speaking from God. You don't represent God. I can outrightly reject that. I don't have to give it any time in my mind because it's fake. It's false. It's not from God. Um, And that has helped me from that time forward um, do my best to drown out the noise of conservative Christians telling me that I'm a heretic and false teacher and going to hell because they're not speaking from God. I love when people call me a heretic. I say, thank you so much. Jesus yes. was a heretic. I'm in good company. Um, that <laughs> I love people are. Yeah. I love it's, Again, it's more exciting. We flip the tables. I love that. Um, of course I had another question and I was like too mesmerized by what the words that were coming out of your mouth. Oh, you mentioned, uh, you identify as a Christian agnostic, right? Hmm. Yeah. Tell us what that means. Yeah. So I thought I made up this term, but as with everything, uh, I then quickly discovered that there's been a movement for at least uh, about 60 years. A book came out like 60 years ago called the Christian agnostic. Um, but basically this tradition is simply saying, um, that you are a follower of Jesus. You resonate with the person of Jesus, the story of Jesus. I would go as far to say that I resonate with the language and rituals of Christianity and I'm not certain about anything. I'm not certain there is a God. I'm not certain that Jesus rose from the dead. I'm not certain that there's a heaven or hell. I have faith that there is those, that those things are real, but I can't prove it. And I think one of the biggest reasons people walk away from faith altogether is because Christians claim a certainty that is impossible to have. If I stand up and say, I know there is a God, nobody knows there is a God. Nobody has ever known there is a God. That is not a provable fact. So we should all admit that we just have faith or we believe it's a place of humility. And so when I say I'm a Christian agnostic, I'm simply saying, yeah. No, I I shouldn't have interrupted you, but I just need to say, Brandon, I'm a Christian agnostic and I didn't even know it. (laughs) I've been calling myself a a Buddhist Christian for a while. Can I say I'm a Buddhist Christian agnostic? That's a little long. (laughs) Yes. No, I think that works. Um, And Honestly, uh, as you know, Buddhism and Christianity go so well together. But um, yeah, so I mean, I started using that language on TikTok recently, and so many people resonate with it because I think that is what most progressive Christians are. Uh, We're at a place where we're just done pretending to know more than we know, and we want to be humble. I mean, that's the posture of Christian agnosticism is to say, we can't know. And so we stand in awe and wonder at the bigness and beauty of God and reject dogma and orthodoxies and creeds that make us define who God is and define the truth. But if you believe a simple statement like God is love and love casts out fear, 
in all of that humility, you can still have a sense of security because you believe, I think the one thing I don't think I'm agnostic on is that love is all there is. And so we're going to be okay, regardless of what turns mm. out to be true in the end. Oh God, it's so good. It's so good, y'all. You're gonna have to listen to this one a couple of times. Um, what what I hear you saying that I say in my own words, I, 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 I talk about faith a lot and how I think the definition of faith is different for different people. I think a lot of far-right fundamentalists would say that faith is certainty. Faith is not yeah. certainty. Even Jesus questioned. Faith is, to me, sitting in the discomfort of the unknown and choosing mm. love anyway. Um, I'm mm. doing a sermon. That's good. A couple times this month, it is Pride Month. We're recording in Pride Month, and it will be out in Pride Month. But I'm preaching twice at two different churches about Proverbs 11:2, which says, um, "With pride comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom." And I reference the story of when I first came out during Pride Month, the first month, like the first Pride Month, I was experiencing as an out gay man. On their sign, it said, "Proverbs 11:2: With pride comes disgrace." But it left off the second half, of course. And we know what they're trying to say there, that Pride Month brings disgrace. But what a, what a backwards, ironically arrogant way of trying to alienate a group of God's children from, from love, right? Yes, because it's true. In context, with pride does come disgrace. Pride, excessive self-confidence, arrogance will say, I know everything, I'm right, and you're wrong, Right? But with humility, humility of maybe I'm wrong, maybe I don't know. I'm going to sit in the discomfort of that. That's where we find wisdom. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And thank you for pushing back against uh, that trope that I, was all over my Twitter all day today about pride comes before the fall. <laughs> yeah, pride is not talking about uh, our pride celebration is precisely about a humble celebration of God's creativity in mm. the diversity of humanity, not this arrogance uh, that conservatives want us to be characterized by. Yeah, Ooh, that's a good, that, this brings me to my next question. What does pride mean to you? Hmm. You kind well, of just answered it, but tell, tell me say, more. I mean, I think you'd agree with this. Being gay is the best thing that has ever happened to me. Um, and I say that pretty much full stop. I think being a part of this community, um, for all of its flaws and all the ways we can critique it, those are our internal conversations we can have. But, uh, I just think that one of the things that kept me afloat after I came out was that in Washington, DC, which I believe is the gayest city in the world, uh, I got out it and I immediately was plunged into a gay community that celebrated me, that made space for me, that held me in all of my questions about my faith and who I was. And uh, even today, like just last weekend, I went uh, to a big gay disco and being able to stand in the midst of a community of people where I, we all have common life experiences. We all have um, much that unites us in all of our diversity, but we're here to celebrate who we are uh, unashamedly, like some of the most healing and empowering moments of my life. And so pride for me is to say, we as a community, the queer community, the LGBTQIA plus community, we offer a lot to the world. We offer a lot to the church. And I don't think that's excessive self-confidence or arrogance in that sense. I think it's simply acknowledging that for thousands of years, we've been demonized 
And all the while, in the midst of that demonizing, we've been contributing and making the world a better place and creating so much of mm. the world that's around us today. Queer people have done this. And so, hell yeah, we deserve a month to celebrate. Hell yeah, we deserve a month to come together and say, look at us. We're not afraid. We're going mm. to keep standing in our truth uh, <clears throat> and screw those who don't want to come along with us. Mm, yes, and that we don't need them because we know now that love is not yeah. conditional. Um, mm. Oh, so so well said. Um, you and I have talked about this before. You and I both get a ton of negativity purged onto us from all different directions, from queer people, from Christians, you name it. Um, how do you handle all of that vitriol? It's a great question. Uh, I think probably there's one of three responses. One, um, lately, especially on Twitter recently, I've been a little bit more addicted to Twitter than normal. Um, I find myself getting pulled in and I know a lot of folks feel like they need to d debate and fight back. But one of the earliest things I learned uh, when I came out, um, that first year after getting outed, I spent almost the entire year flying to conservative events and doing debates on stages with conservatives about my sexuality. And after about a year of doing that, I was so beaten up and exhausted. And I realized that I had not changed one person's mind. Mm -hmm. And so when I see people wanting to debate, when I see people making really ignorant and ill-informed comments, I try to say my response to them is not going to change their mind. It's not going to help most people. It's probably going to further them in their anti-LGBT stance because I'm going to respond with some snark. Um, yeah. And so I think on one hand, um, not responding and instead just choosing to continue to live out my witness as a queer Christian, that is the best way, in my opinion, to change people's hearts and minds. Mm. But also in this social media moment, not just folks like you and me who get to be on the internet with uh, some platform, but I think everybody on social media is experiencing a level of vitriol. And I think that we should just choose to not engage with people that don't know us, that we don't know, that don't have um, a legitimate stock in our life. Too often we allow people to speak into our lives and to say things to us that are faceless, profiles that have no <laughs> should have no authority in our lives we should only allow critique from people that we know that know us that we love that we have trust with um and so i'm leaning in that direction trying to become better at saying mm. i don't care what voiceless faceless profile on tiktok says about me i'm only going to listen to the folks in my own life in my own world which also means though i should say that i do keep around some traditional folks in my life who will challenge me on my theology from time to time and will challenge me on my belief because i do think that's important that we don't just silo ourselves which mm. i think is what contributes to so much of the division in our nation and in our world right now so i don't know if that answered the question uh, but. it did and i hated your answer because i love pushing back <laughs> yeah and I don't want any Me conservatives too. And it's in good my for life. Views. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I like for me, but I'm glad that you admit that you don't always do it because I'm getting red right now. Some of my posts, uh, I still push back. And sometimes yeah. I push back to show people 
how they can hold their own ground. And I think that there's beauty in, in, in humor. It sort of helps to disempower those people and it's never for them. It's always for the other people who are weak and in the closet and who are still bullied, but I would be lying if I told you that I never do it for my own ego, because <laughs> sometimes totally. it just feels so good. <laughs> but to justify that, I will also say this, and I, I hope this doesn't come across in any way, but I do think for folks like you and I who choose to do work in a public way, we, at least for me, I feel like part of my calling is engaging with conservative yeah. theology so that other people don't have to do that. Sure. Um, and so I, I do think there's a unique place. If you feel called to step into the space, great. We should engage and protect those people from having to do it at their Thanksgiving dinner table. Mm. Um, but so. And also, I like, like, like I said, exactly. Giving them, giving them ways, right? You can block, you can ignore, you can delete, you can use humor, you can ask questions, you can set boundaries. There are so many different ways. Yeah, I'm still learning. And there are some days where I'm like, I feel icky. Why do I feel icky? Oh, right. Because I got trapped. I trapped myself in a negative, nasty back and forth with a stranger user 00255 who has no profile picture or no name. I did that to my, I, I yeah. continued to push back. And I don't feel good when I do yeah. that. <laughs> so, so like, I know it's going to hurt me. Yeah. So it's a constant, it's a yeah. constant battle and we're human. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Protect yourself. I think take care of yourself, everybody. That's what we all need to be doing. And when you find yourself, like I, I'll admit that most of today, today, most of the day today, I spent time on Twitter going back and forth with faceless profiles. And it's like, what a waste of time. <laughs> like I could have been doing so much more uh, with, with my time than doing that. So, and you need to do need more because you've our energy. only, yeah, you've only written nine books. You could have written your 10th book by now. Truly. <laughs> so um, there is there is one person that is so moved by your words, that's so connected to you right now, that is in the closet and they are afraid. Uh, I want you to speak directly to that person. What do you have to say to that one person? Yeah, that first and foremost, you should take your time. Uh, the closet is not where you are meant to be in the long term, but the closet can be protective for you. And unless you have a safe space, a community, a church, uh, a friend group that you will be supported by uh, and you know you'll be supported by, then I wouldn't make any jumps or leaps. Take your time. Um, the community will be here for you when it is your moment to step out. But at the same time, um, you also need to know that you don't need to have everything figured out. Mm. So many queer Christians in particular feel like they've got to have the theology nailed down and be completely convinced. And the truth is it's going to take you time, not only to reconcile your faith in clobber passages, but just to feel what it is like to live with a new identity. Like this mm. all takes a long time. It doesn't, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a year. Um, I'm, 10 years into being out and I'm still growing and learning and uh, evolving. And so don't wait around until you feel completely confident and figured out to step out of the closet. Um, but also make sure that when you do, um, you're surrounded by people that will uplift you um, and cheer you on. And once you have that down, uh, come on out. And I promise you, 
you will be surprised at mm. the beauty of the community on the other side of the closet. Mm. Um, and the last thing I'll say is dive into the queer community if you can. Uh, whether that means bars and clubs, which is where a lot of queer life is, or whether that means queer choirs or book clubs mm. or churches, find your way into queer community because even if you don't f spend the rest of your life in primarily queer spaces, having that for a season is so mm. liberating, so healing, mm. so eye-opening. So do it and don't be afraid to do it. It's so true. I My... my celebration year i don't know what you want to call them but when i came out when i was 25 and i lived in chicago blocks away from boys town from 25 to 29 and it was some of i have some of the best experiences i i still hear um robin on the radio every once in a while and like i am like i'm put back to like i'll hear a couple different songs that i put back to those days dancing at roscoe's um yeah and you owe it to yourself, y'all, if that's what you want to do. But I think you you bring up a really good point. If you don't want to do that, that's okay, too. There are so many people that email me or text me or DM me, and they say, I don't want to go to the clubs. I'm the only one. I want to take all of the people that say they're the only ones and put them in one room and say, what do you all want to do? Find what you want to do and trust yeah. that those who, grab, who want that as well will gravitate towards you. Um, really yeah. wise words, Brandon. Thank you for that. Um, you mentioned clobber passages. Um, yeah. Just in case someone's listening and they don't know what that is, can you give us a brief synopsis of what that means? Yeah. Essentially, there are six verses in the Bible that people quote as uh, anti-LGBT passages meant to convince us that it's a sin to be who we are. The truth is, in one sentence, that none of those verses, when taken in context, when looked at in their culture, context, and original language, actually refer to anything akin to modern same-sex relationships or modern trans people. And so I spent most of my last 10 years studying those verses, getting degrees on those verses, and uh, I'm thoroughly, thoroughly convinced that there's not a verse in the Bible that condemns homosexuality or any queer life or love period. Now, I want to be careful, y'all. I don't want anyone listening to feel as if you need to be a master at those six verses or that you need to have reasons why being gay is not wrong. You don't owe that to anyone. That being said, if you do want to hear more about the six clabber passages and what they really mean, Brandon, how would you feel about coming on another time to kind of dive into those six verses? I think that would be so fun. Let's do it. It's my favorite thing to Yay! do. So anytime. Yay. Um, Brandon, it's been such a joy, such a pleasure. If people want to reach out to you, what's the best and easiest way to do? And I'll put this in the show notes too, but how can people best reach out to you? Yeah, the best way is just to go to brandonrobertson.com. Every link to every social media is there. Uh, all my resources are there and there's a contact form uh, if I can be helpful. Amazing. Um, you're such a gift. I'm so honored to be a part of the community with you. I love you. I'm grateful for you. And I cannot wait for us to do this again. Thank you so much for creating space and inviting me here. And it was my honor. All right, y'all. I love you all. And I will see you next time. Goodbye. All right, my friends, that's all we have for you today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Great Unbecoming. And if you did, please share this on your social media and tag me, Eric Feltus. That's Eric Feltus on Instagram and Facebook and Eric.Feltus on TikTok. And to make sure you don't miss another episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Spotify and wherever else you listen to podcasts and go ahead and give us a five-star review. Your ratings and reviews are really the fuel that keep us going and we're so grateful for your support. 
And of course, check out this episode and all episodes on our YouTube channel at Life Coaching by Feltus. And finally, don't forget to go to www.lifecoachingbyfeltus.com and sign up for our email list and stay up to date on everything that's coming up and going on in our shame-free community. I will see you next time. And until then, know that in this space, you are always seen, supported, and celebrated. Bye for now.